If you haven't guessed it by now, it is Youth Sabbath. <laughs> when you have, uh, it looks like, teenagers giving offering calls. And uh, just praise the Lord for all the things that God is doing. Amen? Amen? And by the way, if you're looking for some room, there's some room right here where I preach. So feel free to come up here, Oscar. There's plenty of room right here. So why don't we start with a, a word of prayer right now, and let's ask Jesus to bless us in a very special way. Father in heaven, we thank you again. Thank you, Lord, that we can dwell in your presence. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, Lord. Thank you, God, for worship. And Lord, help our minds to be in the right place because if we're dwelling in you, Lord, if our eyes are on you, worship becomes something that's invigorating and energizing. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see this perspective. And God, as we jump into the message, we pray and ask that in our hearts there would be room for your Holy Spirit, as it says in John chapter 16, to guide us to all truth. For this we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. By the way, just want to make an announcement. It's sad. It's, it's actually, I got bad news and I got good news. What do you want first? Bad news, right? Okay, very good. Bad news is this. This is the last Sabbath of Lily, our Bible worker. So Lily, could you please stand? That's Lily right there. And uh, the good news, though, is she's coming back. So our bad news has been turned into good news. So praise the Lord. Amen. You guys know that this weekend is what weekend? Memorial Day. Do we have any veterans here? If you're a veteran, please stand up. We just want to recognize you. Please stand up. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much. You know what, I was reading about Abraham, and Abraham, Ellen White says, was a patriot. Abraham was a patriot, but when you think about Abraham, he, didn't, he was always looking for that country. But she says he was a patriot. That's exciting to know that, you know what, we just praise the Lord for all the hard work and the time that you have dedicated in the service of this country. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, everybody, take your Bibles. We're going to jump into a message rapid fire. So take your Bibles. I'm going to share something very interesting, an actual event that took place. I'm going to bear my soul to you this Sabbath, all right? So something took place last week. Something took place last week, and I know some of you guys are going to resonate with what I talk about today. Hopefully most of you. I was uh, doing some gardening. How many people here have a, a garden? Okay, very good. Now I'm going to share with you a lesson I learned about gardening. I grew up... Uh, gardening with my dad, except uh, the only thing we'd grow was chili peppers. And uh, this is something, I guess, it's just Indian, but that's all we ate. You know, it was chili peppers. And I used to always get chili peppers all the time, and I, when I'd be picking them, I'd rub my eye with it, and my eye would be burning. And this happened every Sunday. And so, you know, it was very interesting. I was just uh, having a, a, a a recollection of that time with my parents. It was Sunday when the, the sun was going down, and I was just in the garden with my family. And I thought to myself, you know, it'd be, go out, it'd be good to go outside and check on the garden. Now, last year I planted a garden during the fall, and then I, we stopped gardening, me and my roommate, but then we decided to garden again for the spring. And so I decided to go out there. It was Sunday, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go out there, check on the garden. 
And so I go out there and I check on the garden and, you know, there's that good pumpkin plant and sunflower that Robert and Tanisha gave me. They're growing really big. I'm like, that's awesome. And then I look at the squash and, you know, squash just grows no matter what. And, uh, you know, it, it just was growing. And then I looked at the tomato plants and they were growing. But then I looked at what was supposed to be my favorite plant, my favorite crop, romaine lettuce. Mmm, romaine lettuce. None of this GMO stuff. We're going, we're going organic here. And so I, I planted this, this row and I, I put seeds there and this romaine lettuce started springing up the last few weeks and it was growing very well. But when I went out Sunday, I noticed something. All the romaine lettuce was shriveling up. It was shriveling up and it was dying. It's turning brown. And so I was looking around to see if there was perhaps gophers or if there were bugs or if there was some rodent that was getting to this line of lettuce. Didn't see any of that. We have a little fence around the garden so it's not easy for rodents to get in. I didn't see any gopher holes. We had been watering the plant. In fact, we started using miracle Grow, hoping that it would work really well. But as we were looking at this plant, we were noticing that it was dying. So we hooked up the miracle Grow to the, to the hose and we started spraying down this, this lettuce. And still, the next day, the next few days, it was still dead. In fact, it looked worse. And I was thinking to myself, well, let's check on, let's think about the sunlight. Is the sunlight coming in? There was a few trees, but the sunlight was still coming in. We were watering it two, two times a day. We weren't overwatering it, though. So here we go. We're watering it, plenty of sunlight, no gophers, and we're using miracle Grow. Okay? And I was thinking to myself, as I was looking at this plant, I was thinking, why isn't this plant growing? And so what I did, I never forgot it. I took a step back, and I said, Lord, you're a gardener. What should I do? And instantly, as soon as, as, soon as I was done praying, I walked over to the lettuce, and I began to dig a trench right along the side of the lettuce. One side, and then I went to the other side, and I was thinking to myself as I was doing it, what am I doing? And I was digging to the other side, took the hose, hooked up the miracle Grow, started spraying it, and within a few days, the romaine lettuce was lush and it was growing. I had some the other night for dinner. And I stepped back and I began to realize something so important, and it was this. You can do all the right things with that garden. You can water it twice a day. You can hook up miracle Grow to your hose. Plenty of sunshine, fertilizer. You can even put it and take out all the weeds, put it around good plants, and guess what? It still may not grow unless the roots are nourished. You want to know why this was very important to me? Because I've been noticing a particular area of my life in which I am not growing. An area of my life that I am not overcoming. I've oftentimes found myself spiritual in one sense and not so spiritual in another sense. And there was this tension that was always in my heart and I was thinking to myself, Lord, how am I supposed to be a Christian, much less a pastor, but how am I supposed to be a Christian if I got this area of worldliness, this area that is literally dead in my life, and here I have another area that's super spiritual. I'm growing, and it looks like everything is bright and dandy for everybody else. But when I look at this dark period of my life or dark area of my life, it's just dead and it's shriveling. I never forgot. The last few months, I've been really praying about this in my life. 
and asking Jesus to do something with the problems in my life. This area that is not sanctified. And I said, God, how come I'm not growing in this area? And I never forgot, at the end of that garden lesson, I stepped back and God said, Anel, the reason why there is spiritual death in your life is because the roots are not being nourished. Did you know you can do all the right things? You can go to church on Sabbath, amen? You can be a good vegetarian. You can actually read your Bible in the morning. You can even associate with godly people. Well, that's what I do. And what you'll still discover is there is no growth in this particular area of your life. And you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, if I'm doing all the right things, I'm inserting the right things, I'm taking out the wrong things, why is it that there is still death in my life? And God was making something very clear by the, what was happening with the plants. You can water it all you want, plenty of sunshine, miracle grow, and there still can be death. You see, what was taking place was that the roots that were of the lettuce were not being nourished because there was not room. The water was not able to penetrate all the way to the roots. And until there was trenches dug on the other side, each side of the, the lettuce, and the miracle growth started actually penetrating to the roots, the thing started growing. But until then, it was just dead. And it was dying rapidly. Folks, I want you to understand something. Ellen White says in the book Desire of Ages, she says this, the greatest deception, pay attention to my words, the greatest deception during the time of Jesus. You can read about it, first chapter of Desire of Ages. She said was this, an intellectual assent to the truth. An intellectual assent to the truth. Do you know what that means? That means believing in all the right things. Well, what's wrong with that? The problem is when you're believing in all the right things and your heart is still not change. You know what Ellen White says? It's very interesting about the ten virgins. You know the story of the ten virgins, one of the last parables that Jesus gives right before his death. He says there was ten virgins and they were going after the groom. And so they were running, trying to get to the groom's house, trying to get to the place where the marriage was supposed to take place, and they all fell asleep. Now did all of these virgins, did they love the groom, yes or no? Yes, they did. Did they all have lamps? Yes, they did. None of them were hypocrites. And they all had a love for the master. But here was the problem. Halfway through, as they were getting there, all of a sudden they get sleepy, they fall asleep, wake up because they hear the sound, behold, the bridegroom is coming. And so they all get up, and then they realize five of them, the Bible calls them foolish virgins, did not have enough oil in their lamps. Now this is the part where Ellen White says something so remarkable. She says this. The foolish virgins were not hypocrites. You hear what I just said? They were not hypocrites. They were not bad people. But she says this, it's so remarkable. She says this, that their religion had degenerated into a form. Do you know what a form is? A form is something you can see when you're looking out at a particular object and you can make out the form but you don't see details or substance. And so when the Bible is talking about having a form of religion, what the Bible is saying is actually when you have the outline of religion, but you're denying the power there is. Folks, I'm going to say something very blunt with you, and I mean this. Even if everybody in the entire world was a Seventh-day Adventist, Jesus still would not come back. You hear what I just said? 
Even if everybody in the entire world was a Seventh-day Adventist, Jesus would not come back. Because you want to know something? He is not looking for people who merely accept the truth. He is looking for people who are changed by the truth. And in the book Christ Object Lessons, when she's talking about the foolish version, she says something so remarkable. She says this, that the Holy Spirit was not able to touch their hearts. That was the same problem with this plant. The water wasn't able to get to the roots. Folks, even look at Satan himself. Does Satan realize there's a judgment? Yes or no? You better believe he realizes there's a judgment. The Bible says he knows his time is short. Now, does, does Satan believe that the seventh day is the Sabbath? Yes or no? You better believe it. Does he know that the dead sleep? Yes or no? You better believe it. That's why he's doing all this deception, right? Is there something that you believe that Satan himself does not know? He knows all there is. In fact, he could probably give somebody here a better Bible study on the 2300-day prophecy than any of us. But here's something I want you to realize. When Jesus was talking about the devil in John chapter 8, he says there's no truth in him. Wait a minute. Here's a being who actually acknowledges all the truths of Scripture, who knows what all the truths of the Scriptures are, and still Jesus says there's no truth in him. Folks, the same thing with this plant, the same thing with these foolish virgins. They had the form of religion, but what was taking place was that their hearts were not touched by the Spirit of God. And I really believe that God is trying to communicate a message as we continue to grow and to move forward that Jesus doesn't just want more room in the church or in other churches. What he is wanting is more room in our hearts for the Spirit of God to work. Amen? And I just praise the Lord when Jen said that one of the, the, the hymn is going to be showers of blessing, I knew God was saying, this is the right message. The right message. And so what we're going to do in today's sermon, we're going to talk about how to nourish the roots. Because when the roots are nourished, guess what? Growth, pay attention to this, is automatic. When the roots are nourished, growth is automatic and even, may I say, quick. And so what God is trying to do, he is trying to nourish our spiritual roots. But here's the thing I want you guys to understand. There's more to being a Christian than just simply going to church on Sabbath, even waking up in the morning and reading your Bible and praying occasionally, associating with godly people, not doing really bad things. There's more to, a Christ, more to being a Christian than that. And God wants us to understand this. So everybody take your Bible. Let's go to John chapter 14. We're going to talk about how to nourish the spiritual roots. How to nourish the spiritual roots. But be, I don't know about you, but as far as I go, you know, I've been really praying this week, ever since this lesson really was etched into my mind, God, I want you to nourish my spiritual roots. And what's been taking place is exciting. It is awesome. And I want you to get the same benefits that I'm getting. Everybody take your Bible. Let's go to John chapter 14. Are we all there? Say amen. Hey, very good. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Jesus begins to do something at the very end of his ministry. He knows that his life is going to plant a seed. It's going to plant a what? But seeds need watering. And so what he is going to teach the disciples is how to water the seed. How to water the seed. John chapter 14, starting with verse 15. Now watch what Jesus says right here. If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. So what's the motivation for keeping the commandments? 
Love. Amen. And I praise the Lord for that. Now watch verse 16. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another what? Helper. That he may abide with you forever. The spirit of who? Truth. So Jesus begins to do something so remarkable. He's talking about how to water the plant, how to nourish the roots. He says the first thing you need to understand is that there is a helper. Some of you guys might remember a sermon I preached about a few months ago, and it was about the Holy Spirit, and I talked about how that word, the helper, appears four times in the New Testament, John chapter 14 twice, once in John chapter 15, and once in John chapter 16. And the word helper is the Greek word parakletos, which means one who comes right next to you. And so what Jesus is saying, look, he says this, in order for you to grow, because I'm going to be leaving, I'm going to send somebody who is going to be a what? A helper. Now, we all know about the Holy Spirit. It's one of the teachings of the church, amen? We should know what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Now, you're asking me the question, probably, you're thinking the question, how is this sermon different than any other sermon about the Holy Spirit? I really like challenging the church. The first thing we need to learn about the Holy Spirit is this. Because what you begin to believe about the Holy Spirit changes the dynamics of everything else. Well, let's see what Jesus says about the Spirit. John chapter 14, starting with verse 16. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another what? And what's the word helper mean? One who comes close to you. Okay? That he may abide with you forever. Now let me ask you a question. The word abide, this is very important, okay? When's the last time someone ever said to you, I can't wait because I get to abide with the podium? Has anybody ever said that? If you have, it's weirder than me. Okay, let's keep going. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees, what? Him. Now he begins to add a particular gender quality. He calls the Holy Spirit a what? A him. He calls the Holy Spirit a he. Let's keep going. Nor knows him, but you know him, for he what? Dwells with you and will be in you. I will, leave, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Here's the one thing that really began to blow my mind away, and it was very simple. The first lesson God began to teach me this week about nourishing the roots is that your mind, your perception needs to change about the Holy Spirit, and it is this. The Holy Spirit is more than a force. Now you're saying, well, I don't believe that anyways. Here's the thing. You may not acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is a force, but guess what? By your actions, you do declare it. You know the Pentecostals? I love the Pentecostals. They love the Lord. But here's the thing. One thing you'll notice about Pentecostals, they talk so much about the Holy Spirit, 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 the Holy Spirit. But even in all their talk about the Holy Spirit, they still have diminished him to merely a force of nature. In fact, I heard one story about a, a Pentecostal church, and it was during the church board meeting, and one, one Pentecostal elder raises up and he says, the Lord has impressed me that we should do this project. Another elder stands up and says, the Lord has impressed me that that's not right. And then the church board chair says, the Lord has impressed me that both of you guys are wrong. Now sit down. Finally, somebody stands up and says, the Lord has impressed me that we can no longer say, the Lord has impressed me to say this in the beginning of our actions. Folks, here's the thing I want you to understand. Number one, the Holy Spirit cannot be used. 
Number two, we do not control the Holy Spirit. We do not make God do what we want to do. Number three, when Jesus begins to talk about the Holy Spirit, this is what really blew my mind away. He introduces the Holy Spirit as a really, really, really good friend. Now you're thinking to yourself, wait, the Holy Spirit as a friend? Isn't he kind of an it? Isn't he kind of somebody we just sort of say the name or we say, Lord, send the Holy Spirit. And we sort of refer to the Holy Spirit as this lightning bolt or this power. But when Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, he says, look, let me tell you about the Holy Spirit. It's a he. A he. And guess what? It's not only a he. He actually wants to abide with you. Abide with you? That's what people do. Not only abide with you. He actually wants to dwell with you. <gasps> and you can imagine the, whole, the disciples, their mind is being blown. Wait a second. A he? And he actually wants to live with us? And Jesus says something so remarkable. He says, let me just also tell you about the Holy Spirit. You already know him. And guess what? He not only, you will know, not only know him, but he wants to take it a step further. He actually wants to dwell inside of you. <gasps> and you can imagine the disciples at that moment thinking to themselves, what is he talking about? In fact, what's so remarkable, I love this quote in Desire of Ages, page 670. She says, it says this, Circumstances may separate us from every friend. Circumstance, excuse me, circumstances may separate us from every earthly friend. But no circumstance, no distance may separate us from the heavenly comforter. He is at our right hand to support, to sustain, to uphold, and to cheer. And you begin to realize, wait a second, this description of the Holy Spirit, he's a really good friend? Now, I knew the Holy Spirit, but actually thinking of the Holy Spirit as a really good friend. I mean, I know Jesus is a good friend and the Father. I, I talk to, to, the, to the Father through Jesus, but the Holy Spirit, I just really don't talk to him. But Jesus says, you're missing the point. He's a really good friend. Now, this was something that was very challenging to me. But as I began to study the book of Acts, where the Holy Spirit was really falling upon the disciples, I began to notice something about the action verbs, or excuse me, the, the verbs that were described in the book of Acts. And I want you to pay attention to some of these verbs, and you'll realize that the Holy Spirit is not a force, it is not a it, it is not a thing, but it actually is a really, really good friend. You read the book of Acts about how the Bible says the Holy Spirit did not permit Peter and Silas to go into Macedonia at that time. You read about the Holy Spirit told them. The Holy Spirit compelled them. The Holy Spirit permitted them. The Holy Spirit said, go over there. And when you begin to read about all the verbs that described in the book of Acts, and by the way, the early church was so connected with the Holy Spirit, you begin to see that the Holy Spirit was being remarkably uh, exposing himself to the early church in ways we would think, wait a second, we don't do that kind of thing here. We don't talk to the Holy Spirit. We don't really use the Holy Spirit in that way. It would frighten us. But when Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, he says, I'm going to tell you guys something. He is somebody who actually, you already know, he already lives with you. He wants to dwell with you. He wants to abide with you. He wants to be in you. And this was so remarkable because when you begin to think about the Holy Spirit, now I want you to stop and pause and think for yourself, wait a second, the Holy Spirit, I know he's friendly, but a good friend? Jesus was trying to introduce the personality of the Spirit to the disciples, and they probably rejected it in the beginning. And you can reason, reason why, read why Jesus introduced several times the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the helper, the helper, the helper. He was trying to etch into their mind this being that you guys don't know about. He actually wants to be a really good friend. He's already your good friend. 
You know, when I go home down to Southern California, you know, all the Adventists, we always stand up, we're like, oh, I'm related to that person, that person, that person knows me. You know, me, I'm not related to any single Adventist, I've checked. <laughs> it's really odd. You know, I thought maybe, you know, a million relatives later, I'd probably be related to one Adventist. No, -uh. nope. But I have a lot of cousins down in Southern California. So many cousins that I don't even know about. And sometimes when I go home, we go to family get-togethers, and one of my other cousins will say, hey, by the way, here's another cousin. And I'm like, ah, yeah, you're related to him. He's related to so-and-so. That's how you guys are connected. Now, I'm thinking at that moment, wait a minute, I know that he's connected to me, but am I acquainted with him yet? Not yet. And so what Jesus is saying about the Holy Spirit, he's like, you already know him, you're already connected with him but you're not acquainted with. And this began to really challenge me this week, and I asked myself the question, wait a second, am I really acquainted with the Spirit of God? And I begin to understand something. Part of the dirt that was preventing the water getting to the roots was my negligence to know the Holy Spirit. So the first thing we need to understand when it comes to nourishing the spiritual roots where there's automatic, powerful growth taking place is this, you need to be acquainted with your best friend, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Can you say amen to that? All right, let's go to the second thing when it comes to nourishing our spiritual roots. Take your Bible and go to John chapter 14 again. John chapter 14. Jesus is trying to bring this lesson home. John chapter 14, take a good look at verse 25. In nourishing your spiritual roots. John chapter 14, starting with verse 25, this is what Jesus says. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the, what's that next word? Helper. And what's the word helper mean? One who what? Who comes close to you. Well, let's see what Jesus says. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you what? All things and bring to your what? remembrance all things that I have said to you. Now it's very interesting, as Jesus is describing the, the identity or the functional parts of the Holy Spirit, he's saying, guess what? He is somebody who's actually going to teach you all things. Now I thought about that and I said, well, I've read this verse before. What's new about the Holy Spirit? What's new about this water of life that I don't know? He will teach you what? All things. You read John chapter 16, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will teach you all truth. He'll teach you all what? Truth. And so when Jesus is talking about Lucifer, that there is no truth in him. What's not in him? The spirit is not present in Lucifer. There's no truth in him. And so the second thing God began to teach when it comes to nourishing your spiritual roots, where you will begin to experience revitalization, where you'll begin to experience this less of this weariness when it comes to worshiping God or, or doing your Bible study or doing the things that God has to ask you. Here's the thing. The second thing that God began to really teach is that I was not seeking after God. Now, I'm somebody who, the very first thing, I wake up and, you know, I'll drink a bottle of water and then I'll open up my Bible and I will spend time praying and reading the Bible. Over the last two months, I have not been able to get up really early. So, whenever I get up, which is around 7.30 or 8, I'd open up the Bible. Interesting thing was taking place. Over the last two months, I've been trying to, trying to understand why in my spiritual life is there this dryness that is starting to take place. I'm reading the Bible every day. And God began to say something to me. It was this. There is a difference between reading your Bible and seeking God. Wait a second. Don't you seek God through the Bible? Did you know you can actually read the Bible and not seek God? In fact, if you go to the Bible not properly, you know what's going to happen? You'll find whatever you want to find. You'll find whatever you want to find. 
And so as I was praying on Sunday, I said, Lord, I want you to nourish my spiritual roots. The most remarkable things started taking place. I started to get sleepy at night. <laughs> Amen. Now you think about this. How many people here, I want you to raise your hand. How many people here sleep by 10 p.m.? Raise your hand. How many people here sleep by 11 p.m.? Raise your hand. How many people here sleep by midnight? Raise your hand. 1 a.m., 2 a.m. Okay, very good. You can see the bags under your eyes. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing I want you to realize, okay? This is so important. You may think it's not a big deal, but it is a big deal. By me not going to sleep on time, and I was staying up till 1 a.m., by me not going to sleep on time, you know what was taking place? I was robbing God of really good time in the morning. Amen. That night, after working in the garden, I went to my room, and I got sleepy around 9.30, and I said, this is so strange. And I went to my bed after praying, and I started to fall asleep. And I fell asleep. And it's interesting, because the way I try to fall asleep is I'll turn on some nature sounds. It's on my phone. There's, like, crickets. And then there's this stream. And I'll just, like, lay there, and I'll just go to sleep. And it was about 9.30, and I was, I was reaching for my phone to turn on the nature music. All of a sudden, I was, like, sleeping. And all of a sudden, 5 a.m., 5 a.m., and I get up. I said, why am I up at this time? So I get up, pray, open up the Bible, trying to rub the, the cloudiness out of my eyes. It's making it worse. And I'm looking at the Bible, and I'll tell you this. My devotional experience has not been that way in the last few months. This week, God has been tremendously, tremendously speaking to me in the most powerful ways early in the morning. And God says to me, I'm nourishing those roots right now. Instead of just reading the Bible as I was just getting up, I was actually seeking God in the morning. The time was being carved away, and all of a sudden, this whole week I've been getting up early, and as I was spending time in the Bible, all of a sudden it was like I was in tune again with the Spirit. I was like, wow! And it was so incredible. And I began to realize something. God was saying, now you're seeking after me. You have to keep doing this. And as I was spending time more and more reading the scriptures, God began to speak to me more and more, and he began to guide me to all truth. Here's something I want you guys to realize, and it's something so powerful. Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, if I, by the finger of God, cast out demons, then the kingdom of God is upon you. Then he says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, I believe it is, he says nearly the exact same phrase, but there's something different. He says, if I, by the Spirit of God, cast out demons, then the kingdom of God is upon you. So, if A equals C and B equals C, then A equals B. You're like, what? Here's something I want you to know. Jesus equated the finger of God with the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that very important? Because it says in the book of Ezekiel, God says, I will put my spirit in you, and I will write my law upon your heart. So who is writing the law? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the finger of God, right? Now, take your Bible, and let's go to Exodus chapter 34. I'm going to show you something very interesting. Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. Amen. Now, we all know the first part of Exodus chapter 34. But now we're going to take a good look at the second part. Now let's start with verse 28. Verse 28, are we all there? Okay, and let's go rapid on this. So he was there with the Lord how many days? Forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. So who is this talking about? Moses. And where is he? With God, right? And what are they doing on top of the mountain? Well, we know something they're not doing. They're not eating. They're, he, Moses is not drinking. So he's probably not sleeping either. Now imagine this. 40 days and 40 nights, non-stop, 24 hours a day. Who was he with? 
God. Now watch what happens. You can just imagine what might have been the conversation. Take a good look at this. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. He wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the ten what? Now you can imagine this. The children of Israel are watching Moses as he's coming off the fire of God. And there he has ten commandments. Ten commandments. By the way, who wrote, who wrote, who writes the law upon your heart? The Holy Spirit, right? He's called the finger of God, right? You know what the Bible says about the Ten Commandments? They were written, you can read about in Exodus chapter 31, by what? The finger of God. You want to you wanna see something so incredible? You take a good look what was taking place on that mountain when Moses was spending that one-on-one -on -one time with God. And here he is. He's a guy who's running millions of Jews and he's taking 40 days and 40 nights, not even eating, not even drinking. He's lost sight of time because he's one with God. Here's a man who probably had more responsibility than any of us will probably ever have. Yet he lost sight of time in the presence of God to the point there was no food, there was no drinking, probably wasn't any sleeping. In the presence of the life giver, he was just being rejuvenated over and over and over again. You know the rest of the story? You know what happens? He comes off the mountain and his face is shining with what? Light to the point where the Bible says that even Aaron, the high priest, Aaron and all the congregation had to, to step back and they say, wait a second, this brother is, is really, really bright. And Moses had to wear a veil, right? Moses had to wear a veil. And when he would go into the presence of God, he'd take that veil off, right? He could be vulnerable and open with God. You know what's very interesting? The book Patriarchs and Prophets actually identifies what made Moses' face shine. Who wants to take a shot at that? Who thinks they know what made Moses' face actually shine when he came off the mountain? Presence of the Holy Spirit? Okay. Anybody else? Okay, I'll tell you guys. Patriarchs and Prophets says that while he was there, he saw the light shining from Calvary, and that produced the light on his face. So what he was giving glimpses of during that 40 days and 40 nights while he was in the presence of God, he was seeing about Calvary. And as he was seeing the glorious picture of love, all of a sudden his face started shining. And he himself didn't realize it. And as he came off that mountain, his face was shining with God's love. And the people in Israel were like, Whoa, what's wrong with him? They take off running. Here's the thing. In your personal time with God, what will really nourish your spiritual roots is when you begin to hone in on the cross of Calvary. And when you begin to see love in its strongest manifestation, all of a sudden you begin to be nourished where not even death itself, natural consequences of death, no longer take place. And that took place with Moses. I'm not saying that's going to happen to you. But what I am saying is your spiritual life is going to be rejuvenated. Can you say amen to that? Last thing is this. And by the way, it was very interesting. I was telling one of my good friends, he's a pastor, I was telling him, hey, I said, you want to know what I'm preaching? And I began to share with him, and I never forgot what he said to me. He's like, his words. I could really use that right now. How many people here... You don't have to raise your hand. Probably want to admit, you know what? My spirituality has been really dry lately. There hasn't been real spiritual life. I just haven't been really attracted to the things of God lately. Folks, your roots need to be nourished. And God is wanting to do that like never before. Number one, you need to realize something. The Holy Spirit is a good friend. Number two, that God wants you to seek him in the morning. He wants you to seek after him. Don't just, well, I'll just, whenever I give up, I'll do it. No, he wants you to actually just get up and truly seek after him. And number three, we're going to end on this. Take your Bible, go to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Excuse me, John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 26. But when the what? Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, 
the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will what? Testify of me. Now, who does the testifying? The Holy Spirit. You know, here's the thing that we normally hear whenever we hear somebody talking about evangelism. You need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this, but guess what? It's not you that needs to do it, it's the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm somebody who's involved in a lot of Bible studies, meeting with different people. It's just a constant thing. Constantly surrounded by different people. And that can wear on you, right? It can really wear on you. It's like being a mother. I know what that's like. <laughs> Amen? No, not even close, huh? <laughs> you know, you're not carrying a baby, you, guys, you don't know what that's like. Here's the thing I want you guys to understand. Here's the thing. What God began to impress me, number three, about nourishing your spiritual roots, let me be the witness through you. Let me be the witness through you and through your life. And so I started changing my prayers. I said, okay, God, here I am. I'm gonna, I don't want to give this Bible study. I want you to give this Bible study now. And it was so remarkable because as I began to give God permission, his Holy Spirit permission to actually do these things, all of a sudden, it was like the Bible studies were just becoming alive and that each meeting that I was having with different people was just a powerful experience. Even when I was just going out shopping, it's just like, okay, God, I'm giving you permission to testify of you because I do a horrible job at it. And all of a sudden, as I'm meeting people, there's not this drain or this guilt-ridden pressure to talk to somebody. It's this revitalizing energy where there's a desire and want to do it. Folks, the Holy Spirit will do the testifying. He will be doing the one who will be doing the witnessing. And when you begin to allow this to take place on a daily basis, okay, Jesus, okay, God, okay, Holy Spirit, I want you, I want you to be the one who testifies of Jesus through me today. All of a sudden, all the things that may normally wear you out or the things that may dry you or all the other stuff that just may keep you down and not growing will begin to become changed. Folks, this is something that God wants to do. And when you give God the permission, it's exciting to see what takes place. I gave God one week. I said, God, one week. I'm giving you permission. One week. Nourish the spiritual roots in my life right now because I need it. I need it. I came actually back from the prayer conference, big old prayer conference in Fresno. I never forgot. I came back. It was awesome. Great speaker. Got to participate in Sabbath school. But as I was driving away, I said, Lord, I'm worn out spiritually right now. And God really began to speak to my heart this week. And I believe he probably wants to do the same with you. Amen? Folks, we're going to do something so special. We're going to call up our elders up to the front again. And we want to pray for you. We want to just pray God's blessing. If you're an elder in our church, elder and their wives, if you want to come up. And we're going to have special prayer for you. We know that God wants to do awesome things. And he wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. He wants to encourage you. In fact, when you read what it says in John chapter 15... When he, the spirit of truth, shall come, he will guide you to all truth. If you pay attention to what Jesus says immediately afterwards, the very next verse, verse 27, he says, peace, I leave with you. In other words, what the Holy Spirit wants to give you truth and understanding about is God's peace for your life. Encouragement. He wants to uphold, sustain you right now. And you may be somebody who's feeling like drained. You may be somebody who feels like, God, I don't have anybody who supports me. The Holy Spirit does. Perhaps you need to be cheered. The Holy Spirit's the comforter for a re good reason. 
Folks, I want to challenge you tonight, this morning. If you're somebody who's saying, Lord, I just want prayer right now. I want you to come to the front. We want to pray for you. We want to pray and ask that the Holy Spirit would bless you in a very special way. I want you to come to the front right now. If you're somebody who is yearning or you're somebody who has experienced dryness in your spiritual life, folks, I want to call you up front. We want to pray for you. If you're somebody who is stumbling and you're just wondering, Lord, why am I not growing? Your roots need to be nourished. I'm going to call you to the front. God wants to do something so special. It's times like this that the Spirit of God opens up opportunities where He wants to be poured out in your life. A very special way. Call you up to the front if that's your desire. If you're somebody who's experiencing death in your spiritual life, God is calling you today. He is calling you and He wants to pray for you. He wants to bless you. Did you know that the Holy Spirit makes intercession for you? The Holy Spirit prays for you too. If you're somebody like that who wants a blessing, don't wait. This is the time to come forward and receive what God has for you. Folks, the Spirit of God, God is doing some very special things and this is the time where He is, he is wanting to bless the people of God. He knows about our life. He knows about our weaknesses. We're not surprising Him. And He's calling you to drink of the water of life today. To drink of that heavenly water, the Holy Spirit. Come on up. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot org.